I guess. Got the thumbs up. Good morning, everyone. It's good to see everybody here this morning. I'd like to invite you back again this evening at 6 p.m. in our evening worship. If you're in the area on Wednesday, we have devotional and Bible class beginning at 7. We have a uh, guest speaker this morning. Not really. Chris is, Chris is the only one in his family that's not sick. And he started calling us, I think, Wednesday, Thursday, saying, I don't know, this is going to be tough, but I think everybody in his house has is, is, is got the flu, got the virus, whatever it is. It's, uh, but uh, hopefully they'll be feeling better soon. But Rick will present us with a lesson this morning. And before we begin, I'd like to read Matthew 6, verse 25, 33, and 34, if you'd like to follow along, please. Therefore, I say to you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food? And the body more than clothing. Verse 33 and 34. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow, tomorrow will worry about its own things. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Would you bow with me, please? Father, we are thankful for this beautiful day of life you've given us, for the opportunity to be here this time, to surround thy table, to hear another lesson from your word and sing songs of praise to you. Father, we also ask that you be with our sick, that you watch over each and every one, and especially be with Charlie and, and, and Alice and Pray that he's doing better. Be with Roger and Peg and bless them and, and be with those that have cancer. Jimmy Wilgus and Jim Haney and Jennifer Baker, Danny Wheeler. Watch over those, Father, and bless them. Be with our shut-ins, Marvin and Judy and Judy Gerald and Margaret Wilgus and, and bless them and Eloise and Opal and Yvonne and Watch over each and every one, Father. Go with us as we go through this service to you that the things we do will be pleasing unto you. Bless us, forgive us, in thy son's name we pray, and amen. Would you stand for the first song, please? First time this morning, number 761, sweet... Where he leads, I'll follow. 761. Where are we? 
Next hymn this morning, number 783, 783, Will You Not Tell It Today? And after this hymn, Brother Joe Robinson will have our, our scripture reading and prayer. If the name of the Savior is precious to you, if his care has been constant and tender and true, if the heart of his presence has brightened your way, oh, will you not tell on your plans today? Oh, will you not tell it today? Will you not tell it today? If the heart of his presence has brightened your way,
Good morning. Our scripture reading this morning will be coming from Titus chapter 1, verses 5 through 9. For this cause left I thee in Crete, that thou shouldst set in order the things that are wanting, and ordain elders in every city, as I have appointed thee. If any be blameless, the husband of one wife, having faithful children, not accused of riot or unruly, for a bishop must be blameless as the steward of God, not self-willed, not soon angry, not given to wine, no striker, nor given to filthy lucre, but a lover of hospitality, a lover of good men, sober, just, holy, and temperate, holding fast the faithful word as he has been taught, that he may be able by sound doctrine both to extort, exhort and to convince the gainsayers. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for this opportunity to come into your house. We're thankful that we live in a country that uh, we can uh, freely, openly worship and praise you. We ask that um, you be with each one here, uh, Father, and bless them. Give us courage to uh, speak to our neighbors and our friends in the coming days and weeks ahead of your love for them. We ask that you be uh, with each one on our prayer list, Father. Give their doctors wisdom and understanding in, uh, so that they could treat these individuals. And we ask for uh, a special blessing on our shut-ins, Father, that uh, you might uh, let them feel your love and the love that we have for them. Be with Rick as he brings the message today, Father. Open our hearts and our minds and uh, that we might uh, be able to receive it and use it to encourage us. This we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Next hymn this morning, number 784. 784, Why Did My Savior Come to Earth? Thank you. 
We are told in Acts chapter 20, verse 7. Now on the first day of the week, when the disciples came together, they broke bread. And we do that now. But before we do, it's important that we get our mind right. Where it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 27. Therefore, whoever eats this bread and drinks this cup the Lord of the Lord in an unworthy manner, will be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. But let man examine himself, and so let him eat of the bread and drink the cup. And when we do that, it tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 27, Now when you are the body of Christ, members individually, God has appointed you in the church. We take that because we are members of the body of Christ. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 24 says, When we had given thanks, he had broke, the, broke it and said, Take, eat, this is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's go to God in prayer at this time. Our gracious Heavenly Father, Lord, we come to you now to remember your son's sacrifice on the cross for us, Lord. Let's take this bread that represents that body that hung there for us, Lord. Let's take with an open mind, open heart, Lord, that we remember that. Forgive us, Lord, when we do fall short. In Jesus Christ's name I do pray. Amen.
1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 25, says, In the same manner, he also took the cup after the supper, saying, This is the cup that is the new covenant of my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Let's go to God in prayer. Our gracious Heavenly Father, Lord, we are so thankful and blessed to be here, to be able to remember you, the sacrifice, the blood that was shed on the cross for us at Calvary, Lord. Lord, be with us as we partake this cup. Be with our prayers as we pray to you. Let us think of you as we partake it. Be with us, since in Jesus Christ's name we do pray. Amen. That concludes the Lord's Supper. Since we have these handsome gentlemen up here, or have, <laughs> um, we give to God in our contribution. In Luke chapter 6, verse 30, Jesus told his followers to give everyone who asks, to give to those who cannot repay. And Matthew chapter 10, verse 8 says, And you freely give what we have freely received, 
And also in 2 Corinthians 9, 6, Paul established a principle that we are to reap is a reflection on what we sow. Let's go to God in prayer at this time. Our gracious Heavenly Father, Lord, we are so thankful and blessed for all the many things you've given us, Lord. Lord, may we give willingly and give all to you, Lord, because, Lord, we know that you have given us so much, so much that we, we can never repay you for all the th blessings you have given to us. Lord, we, at this time, we give with an open heart, open mind, Lord, be with the funds that the elders take, Lord, that, this, that, they, may, that they may continue on spread, spreading your word, building your kingdom for you, Lord. Lord, be with us now. Forgive us, Lord, when we do fall short. It's in Jesus Christ's name we do pray. Amen. Let's all please stand again. We'll sing hymn number 213, He Gave Me a Song, 213. It's at this time that the young children may go to the children's Bible hour. <clears throat> He took my burdens all away, left to wear a brighter day. He gave me a song, a wonderful song, a wonderful song, and I can sing in my heart for Calvary. He gave me a song, a wonderful song.
Invitation hymn this morning, number 740. 740. What will you do with Jesus? <clears throat> this time, Brother Rick. We are in the middle, exact middle, of a brief series of lessons <clears throat> from uh, Chris on membership. Uh, we are studying membership, and last week I think he looked at benefits to the individual. Of, um, of, of identifying with a church and considering yourself a member of that group. Next week, he will talk about benefits to the, the group uh, to know who within their midst is indeed the members who have committed to working with that group. Chris was going to do that today, but the family is ill, and he is uh, in the throes of trying to uh, work that out or help them survive. Uh, with, with a flu uh, or a virus of some sort. Over the, uh, probably my adult life, I have worshiped with, I don't know, six, seven, eight different congregations. Um, and it is, it has been probably only the last three congregations that I've worshiped with, we have worshiped with, that we had elders. All those earlier congregations were smaller. Uh, we didn't have men qualified or they hadn't taken the step to identify elders, but the eldership is something that God has determined uh, for how he wants his local congregations uh, to be run, to be led, um, to be guided. And so um, I had prepared this, this lesson uh, back a while ago to have uh, for emergencies uh, such as this, uh, but it kind of fits nicely in between uh, the two membership lessons that Chris is going to uh, finish up next week. And um, so I asked the elders if we could do this, and, and they said, sure. I want to talk about what an elder is and what an elder uh, is not. And this is looking at, and I've subtitled it, the practical side of, of church leadership. So we all know, and I think Joe read at least one of those versions to us, or at least a portion of it, the Titus 1 version of the qualifications, the list of qualifications that elders are to possess at least to some degree before being identified as elders and leading uh, being appointed as elders and leading in that capacity the other version is in first timothy three we're not going to talk about those today because you've all heard those and read those especially when we're getting ready to appoint elders new elders or if you're studying uh, church leadership the eldership or something of that nature but I wanted to say up front, there are some assumptions uh, that are built in uh, to those qualifications as well. This is the list. If you combine both the Titus uh, version and the 1 Timothy 3 
version, this is that list. You just glance down through there, because I don't know that you've looked at it recently, uh, just to re-familiarize yourself with that group. I'm not on. It was green when I looked at it. It's not green in either case. that don't worry about it guys I'm good here I'm good here all right this is the list that you'll find in in uh, Titus 1 and 1st Timothy 3 what I did run across was there are categories that you can place each of these into which kind of help simplify the list 25 of those those different characteristics kind of run together after a while but here's a way to to classify or categorize those moral character requirements a marriage requirement that that marriage has to be according to scriptures that you run your house well and that is an assumption or an implication that you might be able to lead the congregation as well also and and among other things they are about children personal self-control relational skills with others being able to work with others um, hospitality loving others and personal integrity and then I think the last one is spiritual maturity I don't know that any one of those is any more important than others I think that last one might be a little bit more important uh, for one to be appointed to an elder and be responsible for the things that uh, an elder or the eldership is responsible for so why why would God give classifications? Well, you would say, well, duh, of course, they need to have certain characteristics, certain attitudes, certain abilities in order to lead a group of people. And I stuck the word minimal up there. If you go back to that uh, original list of 25, um, none of us is going to have a 10 out of 10 on all 25 of those. You're not going to find a human being that is 10 out of 10 on all of those so however I do believe that they should at least minimally qualify for each of those 21 they said these are the qualifications so we at least have to minimally qualify but you're going to find uh, a range of individuals and a range of abilities across those different 25 uh, characteristics so why would God have qualifications first of all to protect the church from unfit men in leadership roles and leadership uh, positions. Many of you have worked in organizations. Many of you have worked within departments within organizations. And you know what kind of damage a poor leader in those leadership roles can do to that organization. We've all seen it. We've all, we've all seen good leaders and we've all seen bad leaders. The problem is once the bad leaders get appointed, in many situations, it's difficult to get them out, depending on the culture of the organization. In the church, we are given the qualifications. We're not given the process. I think the apostles were to appoint elders in every church. Churches of Christ have a process. They announce it. They, they, they put it, the names out there for people to respond to uh, for a while. 
and, and having no problems or issues, we, we go ahead and sanction their approval. There's nothing in there about getting rid of a bad elder that I can find. It talks about one that we'll talk about here in just a minute, but it does not have a process, does not include a process for getting rid of a, an elder that is unfit. So that is why, like choosing a spouse, this is a long-term commitment. You need to take it very seriously, and you need to make sure that those who are appointed are qualified for the position and don't have problems or other issues uh, surrounding uh, this. They, they can't be immoral. They can't be unfaithful. They can't be immature. They can't be any of those 25 that we listed a while ago. They have to at least minimally qualify for all of those because if they got a problem in one of those areas, it can manifest itself and be a problem for not only the elder, other elders, but also for the congregation as a whole. An unfit elder is a problem probably, at least possibly, for years. It's difficult to correct that mistake. Not impossible, but difficult. Thank heaven I've never had to um, undergo anything like that. I don't know if you all have or not, but it, it can't be a very tasteful uh, situation. Another reason that God requires us to have those uh, minimal qualifications is that we're expected to grow in those uh, qualifications. None of us is perfect. None of us is right at the top. None of us have, um, uh, has maximized our potential in those areas. So it's an opportunity for us to not only serve, but it's an opportunity for us to serve uh, and grow as well in our moral and our spiritual character. The fact that we have those 25 in some form or fashion, or at least to some degree, does not auto automatically, and that's probably one of the assumptions back up at the top that I was talking about, it doesn't automatically mean you're going to be a good elder. We'll talk about some of the things about what at least I feel and the Bible feels is a good elder but it doesn't automatically translate into performance. And just because somebody didn't qualify in one of, one of those areas doesn't mean that they otherwise wouldn't make a good elder. Those qualifications are there for minimal qualifications at least so that the leaders of God's local body can perform their job effectively and accomplish what those elders are supposed to accomplish that we'll talk about more in a minute. Uh, there is a, a development process. There is a learning curve over time. I don't know that any, and I know there's some in the audience that have served as elders also, um, along with the ones who are currently serving here, that it is, a, it is a process. It is a learning process. You come into uh, contact with and are exposed to situations that you might never think that you would ever have to deal with. There's not a manual that says in this particular case you do this in this particular case you do this there are guidelines there and one of the things that we are supposed to do as elders is use our spiritual maturity our experience with working with people in life and to use our best judgment according to what the scriptures provide for us to solve those problems and to move the congregation forward so it is a lifetime effort of learning how to be a better leader it's also to help us improve our shepherding skills. Qualifications are there to provide that foundation so that we can shepherd. Now, what, is that, what does that mean? Jesus talks about the good shepherd and that the sheep know his voice and that he will lay down his life 
for the sheep and, and, and all of those, those characteristics that that uh, shepherd metaphor should stir in our minds when we think about uh, Jesus as the good and perfect shepherd and uh, elders as local shepherds in the local church. So we need to improve our shepherding skills as well and then those qualifications should help, help promote that. Our focus is to translate those qualifications into attitudes that will produce actions and then maybe a, a consistent practice across time. Elders are responsible for working with others, through others, and over others. Well, what, what do I mean by that? You have on this end of the spectrum when you talk about leadership styles. Totally authoritarian, autocratic, sole decision makers, don't consider input from anybody else, and they make the decisions or he makes the decision if it's a, it's a solo situation, and that is gospel. That is law. That is how things transpire. You have over on the other end of, of this a, a, a more democratic approach to leadership, listening to others, talking to others, getting input from others, sharing we talk about some of that leadership with others through assignments. So when we talk about working with others, this is who we work with. We have a group of people, and we're leading those individuals. So we work with those people. We try to accomplish things, and sometimes we delegate those things to other people. And so we work through those people so that we can accomplish the goals um, that, that we had, had set out or determined. And we realize also that you, the, the congregation is supposed to submit to the leadership of the elders. And so we are over the group uh, to a certain extent, but at, at the same time, it doesn't mean that, that we are down on this end of the spectrum with autocratic uh, authoritarian leadership. There is a... Uh, Back when they first started studying leadership, they decided that there were, I, I can't get my elbows together here, but two rays like this. This one had to do with being concerned with people, consideration for others, caring about others. This one down here, going out that direction, uh, was for structure, for getting things done. And what they came up with, uh, these two individuals who put this together, was they had nine different leadership styles on that grid that would eventually uh, work from that. And they said probably the best one is the one that's way out here. High in people, high in concern for others, and high in the desire to make sure that structure is followed and that goals are achieved. And you all can probably think of people placed differently on, on that grid there where they were too concerned in sat with satisfying everybody and not enough structure, or the other direction as well. So. As we work through uh, and with and over others, there are different groups that we have to work with. First, we had three elders when the three new ones, uh, Mike and Jeremy and Rick, were appointed. Uh, we had Clinton, Jerry, and Gary, and we doubled our number of elders right off the bat. Anytime you have that kind of, of new uh, mixture and input, um, we, we have to learn, we had to learn and are still learning how to work together. We don't always agree on things. I don't think anybody should expect us to agree on everything, but we work well together 
to achieve some sort of consensus that we can at least live with the decisions uh, that we make. So we first have to learn to work with, our, with each other. Secondly, we have a group of deacons, seven individuals here who have assigned roles, some of them regular roles that take place. Um, they serve on various committees. Um, they work with the, um, the, the, the groups that we have, the life groups that we have, work with the elders who are in charge of those. And they are the ones that, that um, are, are the ones that, that tend to, in most cases, carry out the decisions that the uh, elders make. But that, that responsibility can go to this next group as well. The saints of the church, the members of the church, we have to learn to work with, over, and through those individuals as well. They serve on committees. They help out. Uh, they do a number of things. And so if we are going to lead that group, we have to learn to work with that group. The preacher, um, the local evangelist. Chris does a great job of bringing ideas to us. I'd like to do this. I'd like to do this. I think we ought to do that. That's fantastic because that means that we don't have to come up with all the things that we want Chris to do. We do come up with some things, but the idea is that, that we still have to learn how to work with him to achieve as much as we can in that relationship. The staff, either in the office or the, the care and maintenance uh, group around here, those are individuals that we have to work with as well. There's two final groups that are a little bit uh, more more difficult or present a little bit more, a few more problems. The weak, um, those individuals who possibly were strong at one time, but have, have, have fallen um, away from that initial intensity, that initial commitment. Um, they might be weak simply because lack of uh, information, lack of commitment, uh, lack no relationships or whatever the case might be. But it's our job to restore those individuals and get them back to being committed, hardworking, contributing members. And then this last one is the wayward. Those people who have fallen off the grid. Those people who are not attending anymore but have not let us know that they're either attending somewhere else or they're not coming back or something of that nature. Um, and it could be that their lack of, of being here is an indication of the fact that they have possibly fallen from grace, that they have left their first love, that they have done those things that the Bible teaches are possible for us to do if we don't remain constant, remain diligent, and, and remain committed. So that is the group of, of um, groups um, that we have to work with to work through to accomplish the things that we need to do as elders. So what an elder is or does, and there are probably others, but these are things that occurred to me. First of all, I think if you're going to go back to that uh, group, spiritual maturity is there, but I think you have to be a leader. You cannot be one who doesn't assume responsibility for growth, for movement, for progress, and that's what leaders do. No organization can survive if you have a weak leader at the top. Sooner or later, things will pop up, and if, and if, and if they're not dealt with, that will cause that organization to suffer. 
So those qualifications we talked about a while ago should produce performance, but there has to be a leadership capacity in there as well. As we said, it's a refinement process and we get better at it over time. Second point, an elder is a sinner, a human being, a fallible person. We're not perfect. No elder has ever been perfect. Realize that just because we have met those minimal qualifications and because we have been appointed as an elder, it doesn't mean that all of a sudden we um, have the answer to everything, that we uh, are going to make the wisest decisions at all time. We will make mistakes as a group and we will make mistakes as individuals. Know that up front. Just being an appointed elder doesn't automatically endow you with any kind of um, extraordinary um, abilities. I remember when um, I went back and got my uh, doctorate. I had my master's in school administration. I had been a teacher and a school administrator. And I uh, went back and got my doctorate. And it was interesting how many people, after I, I got that degree, uh, started looking at me differently. We had started a church on the uh, North Shore outside of New Orleans and um, of five families. And all of a sudden, uh, whether we were in a class situation or whatever, and discussion was going on, at some point, people would turn and say, well, what do you think, Rick? I said, I, I don't have any extra wisdom on, on this particular piece. Just because someone achieves something, whether that's a degree or a, a name to a position, it doesn't make them any better than they were the day before, any smarter than they were the day before, any better leader than the day before. Just be aware of that. I'm sure you were even before I said that. We're not perfect, nor should uh, we expect the elder or the elders to be perfect. First Timothy 5, uh, verse 17 has this situation. Paul says to Timothy, let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor. And I don't know whether that's honor among the group. I don't know if that's honor with God. I didn't go back and, and check that out. But it says, especially those who work hard at preaching and teaching. And that doesn't have to be formal preaching, and it doesn't have to be formal teaching. They should be preachers and teachers of God's word at all times. But if they do that well, they are uh, worthy of double honors um, if they rule well. Uh, as a whole also. Scripture says this, you shall not muzzle the ox while he's threshing and the laborer is worthy of his wages. That tells me there that if we wanted to pay the elders, we could. We're not going to. Uh, and I don't know if you've ever been in a situation where that has been the case, but they are worthy of that according to uh, this Old Testament passage and then the backup there, the laborer is worthy of his wages. Do not receive an accusation against an elder except on the basis of two or three witnesses. This is an Old Testament um, standard that says if someone charges somebody with something, the other person can say, no, I didn't. And so now, what do you do? You have two people saying the opposite. One is lying or one is misinterpreted or something's going on there. You can't establish truth based on just two. It says either two or three witnesses should be able to back up either side, and then you establish truth. But notice, it's, it's an elder, an accusation of an elder. 
those elders who continue in sin, it has been established that sin was committed and they're not repenting, rebuke in the presence of all so that the rest also may be fearful of sinning. I'm going to go ahead and read the rest of it and we'll come back and make a point. I solemnly charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus and his chosen angels to maintain these principles without bias, doing nothing in a spirit of partiality. Elders are just as fallible as others where sin is concerned. If an elder is taken, discovered in sin and refuses to repent, that individual is to be rebuked just like anybody else. Just because you're an elder, it doesn't mean that you have any um, exceptions um, for you so that you don't get charged the same way. And it says, so that the rest may also be fearful of sinning. It's going to happen to you too. If it happens to an elder, then it's for sure going to happen to you. Do nothing with bias and do nothing in a spirit of partiality. Uh, Galatians, the fifth chapter, also says this. But the fruit of the Spirit uh, is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there's no law. Now those who belong to Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and its desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. Then here is the tie to that previous one. Let us not become boastful, challenging one another, envying one another. Brethren, even if a man, anyone, is caught in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness. And here's that, that same echo, looking to yourself, lest you be tempted as well. Nobody corrects anybody else or should with the attitude that I'm perfect and you're flawed. All of us are flawed. All of us are tempted. But we have to confront sin and expose it when it's in our midst. Bear one another's burdens and thus fulfill the law of Christ. So, continue. An elder is an individual who desires the work and responsibilities. Uh, that was one of the original qualifications. You don't want to drag somebody kicking and screaming into the eldership. That doesn't look good. And it, it might be foreboding uh, that they won't do a good job. You have to desire uh, that, that work and that responsibility and in doing so, no ulterior motives like the greed or the power that are mentioned in those original 25. An elder is charged with, and we've seen that already in some of the quotes and we'll see it uh, again, charged with the purity of the group, charged with helping others get to heaven that's our responsibility we convict the the gainsayer i believe joe's uh, version had we rebuke an elder who is out of line or anyone else who is out of line because the purity of the group is paramount is foremost in our mind because uh that's not where i was going with that uh, we'll, we'll see a couple of passages here in a minute that will, that will play that out a little bit more. And it says, as we saw a while ago, uh, elders worth double honor uh, if the job is well done, teaching and preaching. So what does that look like? What a good, good elder is or what a good elder does. That purity of the group is our true north. That's our prime directive. That is 
our uh, primary purpose is to keep the local body pure and on the right goal and headed toward heaven. Titus 1.9 says, and this was, I think, in, in what Joe read, holding fast the faithful word which is in accordance with the teaching that he may be able to both exhort in sound doctrine, teach sound doctrine and exhort us to continue in that and to refute those who would contradict sound doctrine. 1 Corinthians 5 tells us the way that we have to do that and how intensely we should be focused on that. 1 Corinthians 5 was the uh, member in the congregation that had his brother's wife uh, or his father's wife and um, they weren't doing anything about it. And Paul threatens them to come with a rod or with love, fix this situation. Because he said, if you let this ride, a little leaven leavens a whole lump. That's going to send a signal that you will tolerate sin. And it sends a signal that you will look the other way. Maybe the person was a person of influence. I don't know. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. Problems don't go away by ignoring them. They grow and maybe even spread to other problems because you didn't take care of the one that was there. So as we try to keep the congregation headed toward our true north, which is getting to heaven, um, we, have to, we have to make sure that when error uh, rears its ugly head, that we jump on it. Proactive versus reactive. Oh, here's a problem over here. Let's deal with that. Oh, here's one over here. Let's deal with that. That's a reactive way of, of leadership. And if you deal with those problems effectively, I guess that's good enough. But a proactive leader is going to plan ahead, is going to look down the road, is going to see problems maybe emerging in an area before they actually become problems and handle them before they even have a chance to present themselves as problems. So you look for problems before they have a chance to emerge. You don't just stand there when you do encounter one. You do something about it. And uh, let's hope that it's well-reasoned and, and, and justified and not just fly off the handle with any sort of response. And as I said, problems don't go away by simply ignoring them. Quite the opposite. Good elder is zealous for the souls of others under their charge. We have to be concerned about your souls. Every one of your souls is important. We have to, we are held accountable for that, and I'll show you that in just a second. The perception might be, however, that when we come to you with a concern, a question, uh, a problem, that you are, you might come back and say, well, pfft, just you're being a little too nosy there. You're getting in my business. Why don't you just take care of yourselves? That's not our job. Our job is the souls of others and get everyone to heaven. Their job description is to be nosy in the interest of their souls. First Peter 5, 2 says, shepherd the flock of God among you, exercising oversight according to the will of God. And then Hebrews 13, 17 is where we get this accountability piece. Members, obey your leaders, submit to them, for they keep watch over your souls as those who will give an account. 
You're responsible for your salvation. Now, I, as an elder, am responsible for your salvation as well. All of us as elders talk about ways that we can make sure that our group maintains its purity, that all of us get to heaven. And if there are anomalies, if there are situations that need to be confronted, it's our job because we are accountable, according to Hebrews 13, 17. Yes, I want you as my elder, but uh, stay out of my business. Those two are mutually exclusive. You can't have both of those. Y'all all know the situation, judge not that you be not judged, and when, when we might confront you with some issue, you might throw this passage at us. A study of that passage will, will show you that you have to judge. The rest of, of Matthew 7 talks about judging people by their, by their fruits, by their works. So it doesn't mean you can't judge. It means that you need to clean up your own backyard before you judge others because that same measure is going to be used to judge you as well. So the other side of the coin, and briefly, what an elder is not. An elder is not an all-wise, autocratic, pompous demigod who knows it all. And if you have an elder that has any of that in him, he probably shouldn't have been appointed in the first place. He's not an all-seeing, superhuman, endowed with inspiration. Like we said, we're human beings. We will make errors. We are doing our best to apply the scriptures to keep this congregation pure and for all of us to get to heaven. It's not one who is a micromanager, but a person who is a good delegator to others. That's why we have deacons. That's why we have members, so that we can bear the burden of running this congregation together. It's not one who has all the answers or even the best answers. It's not one who refuses to listen to the advice of others, not one who's out of touch with the congregational needs. Acts the sixth chapter we, we point to for when uh, the first deacons were appointed. And I don't know if these guys had that title or not. We know that deacons did have that title um, because of the requirements for those individuals are found pretty much the same place in 1 Timothy 3 and Titus 1. But they satisfied a need there because they a problem was brought to them, they delegated that, and it took place. When we were appointed, the, the three new ones were appointed, we uh, sent out a survey to everyone and asked for your input about this congregation. What should we focus on that we're not? What would you like to see that we're not doing? What are we doing well uh, that we do, you would like to see continued? And so uh, we, we obtained that information, and you'd be surprised how many times, it just came up just, uh, just this last week, at our meeting. We still refer back to the results of that and we are still using that information to drive things that we are, are doing or will be doing shortly. And one of the responses uh, um, to that survey was interesting. The person said, I don't even know why you're asking us. You're the ones that are, make, are in charge of making the decisions, make them. That is a way to do it. But I don't know how we can make decisions that are going to be in tune with your needs unless we find out what your needs are. And so taking input from the group was something we wanted to do right off the bat. Summary, commit to the Lord. If you're going to be an elder, you have to be committed to the Lord. You have to be willing to step forward and shepherd the flock, guide them, lead them, care 
for them. You have to lead willingly and not by compulsion. You need to preach and teach however that might manifest itself. You need to care for the church of God. You need to watch over the souls and give an account because you will give an account. And you really need to do this with a certain amount of joy because the burdens can weigh you down at times. They can cause you to lose sleep at night. So the attitude that, that you're doing the right thing and, and making things better has to be in there. Live as an example to others and instruct in sound doctrine and rebuke those who contradict. Finally, the eldership is an extremely serious undertaking. And I think if you talk to any of those six individuals, you would find out that they take their job very seriously. There's nothing more serious than the salvation of other souls. So how seriously do we take that charge? What are we willing to do to make sure that we and others go to heaven? How willing are you to listen to us if we come to you with a concern? It's important for us to understand our role, its importance, and its, its difficulty. But we also want you to understand that as well. And our, our, my purpose for sharing this with you today was to give you a little bit of insight about what drives us and what our true purpose for serving this congregation is. Yes, we make financial decisions, but that's not what pushes us. That's not what motivates us. We want all of us to get to heaven. If you are not on your way to heaven today, if you haven't rendered obedience to the gospel, you need to do so. Believe, repent, confess, be baptized, live faithfully the rest of your life, and you can get to heaven. It's not that difficult. Yes, life gets in the way, but at that stage, you will be saved, and you have an advocate with the Father, and you can pray for forgiveness. If you have a problem this morning and need to let the group know so that we can pray on your behalf or help you in some way, please come now as we stand and sing. Jesus is standing in time of all. Friends must forsake and be praised by all. Heart and body of the sun and call. What will you do with Jesus? What will you do with Jesus, my friend? Do for you cannot be. Something your heart will be asking, oh friend. What will he do with me? Jesus is standing on trial still. You can be false to him if you will. You can be faithful through good or ill. What will he do with Jesus? What will you do with Jesus, my friend? Neutral you cannot be. Someday your heart will be asking, oh friend, what will he do with me? Jesus, I give thee my heart today. Jesus, I'll follow thee all the way. Gladly obeying thee will be saved. This will I do with Jesus. What will you do? Jesus, my friend, do for you cannot be. 
Good morning, church family. A couple of announcements before we are dismissed. If you're visiting with us, we are glad you decided to worship with us this morning. If you can fill out a visitor card and it's in front of you and place it inside the donation box, we'd love to have a record of your attendance with us this morning. Um, game night uh, after evening services have been, has been canceled, um, so there will be no game night tonight. Um, that will be a, a later date. Also, there's a deacons meeting today at 5 o'clock, so all deacons uh, need to be there for that. Also, February the 21st, this Tuesday, will be Young at Heart. We are heading to Cheddar's in Ashland, Kentucky, and that we'll meet at 10.30. 10.30 is what time we'll meet. Also, Wednesday is the last day to bring in snacks for CYC. Um, there's a sign-up sheet in the foyer board. Uh, please check that out. We're still needing some snacks and drinks. Um, for that uh, event, uh, we have 31 going to CYC this year, which is a big group. Um, so if you can help out with snacks, that'd be greatly appreciated. Also, uh, Life Group 2, that's Gary, I'm sorry, that's Gary Leap's group. We'll be meeting on March 5th after evening services for a fellowship and planning meeting. Uh, please bring finger foods and drinks. And also, uh, men, please put on your calendars March 17th and 18th. Uh, for the men's meeting. That's uh, March 17th through the 18th for the men's meeting. Updates on a prayer list. Remember, continue to keep Jimmy Wilgus in your prayers as he undergoes his cancer treatments. Um, he had one this week. Or he has chemo this week. So keep Jim, uh, Jimmy in your prayers as well at this time. Keep Terry Leap in your prayers. That's Gary Leap's brother. Also, keep Jennifer Baker in your prayers as she go, undergoes her cancer treatment, Amber Spitzer as she undergoes her cancer treatment as well. Um, updates as well, uh, Vicki Smith, uh, keep her in your prayers as well. She's having surgery this week, um, so keep Vicki Smith and Steve in your prayers at this time. Uh, her address is out in the foyer board. If you just want to write a note of encouragement, I know uh, the family would greatly appreciate that. That's all the announcements I have. I'm looking forward to seeing everybody again this evening at 6 o'clock. We'll sing one more song and, and be dismissed in prayer. Let's please stand again. We'll sing hymn number 274. I have found a friend, a friend in Jesus. We'll just sing the first verse only, and then Brother Greg Sullivan will have our prayer. I have found a friend in Jesus, he's everything to me. He's the fairest of ten thousand to my soul. The little of the valley, in him alone I see. All I need to live to make me fully whole. In sorrow he's my comfort, in trouble he's my stay. He tells me every care on him. He's the lily of the valley, the bright and morning star. He's the fairest of ten thousand to my soul. Let's pray. 
Our Father in heaven, just thank you for this another day that you have blessed us with. Father, we are thankful for this opportunity that we come here and worship you. Father, I just pray that everything that was done here this morning is pleasing in your sight. Father, we are mindful of the ones that are on the prayer list. Father, some of those are going through treatments or have upcoming treatments. Some have surgeries, Father, and just, Father, just pray a special blessing on them and that you comfort them in, in the way that you know how. Father, just as we leave this place, just pray that we continue to reflect on you as we go throughout our day and bring us back here this evening. Forgive us, Father, of the sins that we've committed. It's in your name we pray. Amen.